Which brings up this point. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you about Pastor Noah. Uh, his dad in Africa is having his hip replaced, and his, he's got a couple of his children who's never actually laid eyes on their granddad. And, and I asked you, would you be willing to give some money towards helping the family go to go over there so they could, you know, be there with their family, you know, be there with the granddad and, you know, all those good things. But um, I, I called him Thursday, and he uh, had all the money. It was going to be $7,000 for the family to get all the money except $1,500, okay? And so I said, well, I believe the Lord wants to provide that $1,500 for you. So he said he had to have it by Friday at noon. I said, just pray, you know, and go ahead and pack your bags in faith. And the Lord will provide the money. And so I'm asking you uh, to give us 1500 bucks to... Because <laughs> we gave him $1,500, as I guess that's the, the bottom line here. So I'm, you know, just I want to just take a moment and let's pray. And we're going to just receive a special offering for that. Uh, it's no compulsion here. If you don't want to, if you've already given, that's great. Thank you, Lord. But, Father... Um, you know, you, we see opportunities, and there's many opportunities, there's many things that are good things that we could give to, Lord. And uh, we were blessed by the, the children in South America that they had balloons and candy and about the bars on the window to protect the place. And, Lord, we just really are thankful that you allow us to participate in things outside ourselves, Lord Jesus, in your kingdom, Lord. And So, Lord, I just pray right now, you just move on our hearts this morning, Lord, just, uh, just one more time, Lord, just... Lord, uh, Lord, you are the one who supplies all our needs according to your riches in heaven, Lord. Lord, let us not see these things as burdens but opportunities. In Jesus' name, amen. So you can look at this thing one or two ways. You can look at, well, you keep going to the well and you're going to drain the well. <laughs> That's one way of looking at it. Or you can look at it like this. Spiritually, if you go to the well, that keeps the well flowing. Amen? So I'm asking you this morning to you know, be generous and give as... These guys pass this around. We'll make sure they get down there. Everybody okay? Some One person is. Amen. <laughs> Open your Bibles to John 4. And the kids need to go because Matthew didn't dismiss them, but they stayed to say that presentation. So really he did what he was supposed to do. Okay, all of you know Matthew, not Matthew, did I say Matthew or John? John 4. Everybody knows about John 4, what the story is in John 4. It's the story of the Samaritan woman. And I want to just, uh, I shared one point from this story last week. Verse 9, when Jesus was speaking to the Samaritan woman, it says, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And the first point I made last week about attracting the favor of God is God is attracted to people who are little in their own eyes. You got that? God is attracted to people who are little in their own eyes. He's not attracted to people who are big in their own eyes. And the Samaritans were little in their own eyes because they truly uh, were a, mi a mixed race, a messed up group. The, demon, uh, the Jews considered them even equated them on the same level as demons. So they were small in their own eyes. So that's one way you can get the favor of God operating in your life. is simply by lowering your standard of who you think you are 
and what you think you are. And God will be attracted to that. All right, let's look at the second thing, uh, verse 10. And Jesus said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked Him, and He would have given you living water. Then the woman said to Him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as well as his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. And that you spoke truly. Amen. All right, point number two. People who are failures. Okay, people who are failures attract Jesus. Um... In, in the biblical, biblical days, women did not divorce men like they do today in our society. They, they just didn't do it. Men divorced women. So I want you to think about this woman for a minute. This woman had five husbands. Five fail, In other words, she had five men that didn't want to have anything to do with her. Now, that's a failure. Right? I mean, if you had five, if you were married, and you, even, if, even if you initiated some of the divorces yourself, you would consider your life to be pretty much a failure, wouldn't you? You just couldn't. And now she's, she pretty much gave up on marriage. She didn't give up on men, but she gave up on the, on the marriage relationship and was living with a guy. That was her state. And the Lord was attracted to this woman because the Lord used this woman to save his, the, the city that she came from. The Lord used a, a, a woman of that state to save the city. So here's, here's what we've got to get in our minds this morning. Um, every person, and this is hard for us to accept, okay? It's hard for Americans to accept this, but in the kingdom of God, failure is a great commodity. It really is. See, we live in a society that promotes success in everything that we do. Yet, for us to really become truly spiritually successful, we have to see ourselves as failures. And in order for us as human beings to see ourselves as failures, we have to truly fail. And a person who has not really experienced failure will not consider themselves to be a failure. This woman knew she was a failure. This woman was desperate in her life because she realized, man, I, I can't keep a husband. I can't do anything in this marital relationship. It was a reality, reality to her. It wasn't just a spiritual concept to her. And what God wants to do is He wants us to bring us to a place where we value failure. Now, that's contradictory. I know that doesn't go out for your natural thinking. But until you come to a place where you truly see yourself as an absolute failure, you are really not going to attract the Lord to yourself. The Lord's not attracted to you as a success. See, we think because somebody's got success that God has, you know, that God's blessing them. Maybe they, their success is a result of past failure. Are you all with me this morning? Listen to this story right here. Jesus went to a man's house. He was a Pharisee named Simon. 
And uh, there was a woman who came there and began to, you know, wash his feet with her tears, wiping his feet with his hair. And, and the Pharisee was, was very much, you know, repulsed by that. But this is what Jesus said. He, he, he said, let me tell you a story. He said, there were a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one he forgave more. And Jesus said, you have rightly judged. And I think what, I think really what I feel like God wants to communicate to us is that we, as Christians, we get smug. We get smug. We grow and we get mature and we get a certain amount of, of what we think is strength in our life. And we forget where we came from. So we go to the world and we offer the world our morals. We offer them our lifestyle. You hear what I'm saying to you? That's what we offer them. And they're repulsed by our morals. They're repulsed by our lifestyle. We forget that we were, we were like that. We forget that we were failures. That's how we came to the Lord. I didn't come to the Lord because I was success, successful and everything was going good in my life. I came to the Lord because I had the same issues this woman had. I had this need in me. She had this thirst in her because God's put a thirst in all of us. And He's put this desire in us for something beyond what we're experiencing. And, and many of us, we come to the place in our lives where we surrender to God because we realize Nothing has, nothing has filled me. Nothing has, 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 has taken that thirst away from me. And everything I've pursued after has just ended in nothing. It's ended in failure. And that's how we get saved. I mean, most people get saved. I don't know anybody who got saved because they were satisfied. I know people who get saved because they realize there's a need in their life. But once we get saved for a while, we forget that we're needy. Anybody in here feel unneedy this morning. They forget. So we offer the world these our morals. That's what we're offering them. That's why people don't care for the church, because we're offering them something they don't want. Because we're not even good morally most of the time. It's, been a, it's a proven fact. People in the church are bad morally. It's a proven fact. There's as much divorce in the church there are, are in the world. Those are facts. So we're offering them something. They're saying, you're not offering me something that's going to satisfy this thing in me, this thirst in me. And this woman had looked for it in men. You know, that's why I believe a lot of young Christians um, fall away from the Lord. A lot of old Christians fall away. They quit being satisfied with God, and they, start in, and they get into religion. And religion doesn't satisfy. They get into other things, and those things don't satisfy. Do you hear what I'm saying to you this morning? Is anybody? Is God speaking to anybody? Does, I mean, are you satisfied this morning? Are you full this morning? If you are, you're in trouble. You are in really trouble with God. You need to see yourself like this woman. You need to see yourself as lacking. You need to see yourself as a failure. And if, if you don't see yourself as that, God wants to bring you to a place of failure. He wants to bring you to you where you feel like a failure. And you see, I'm a failure. That's a good thing when God brings you to that place. That's a wonderful place because you can step from there into fullness in God. I believe every person in this room, if you're going to really go on in God, if you're going to really have the kind of life that God's called you to, you've got to face this failure thing. And it can be in any area of our life. Um, now, listen to this scripture. Matthew 9, 13. Jesus was at a house. He was at a house party. 
with a bunch of, bunch of sinners. He had just called Matthew, who was a tax collector, and Matthew, Matthew grabbed a bunch of his friends. They were all at this house party, and the Pharisees saw Jesus eating with, with sinners, and they were obviously offended by it. And uh, this is what Jesus said to them. Hey, go and learn what this means. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's what I want you to learn is mercy. Um, so if you have it all together, God can't use you. And that's the truth. God's looking for people who don't have it all together. God's looking for people who have been failures, who've messed up their life. Those are the kind of people that God wants to use. Now, that doesn't mean you had to go out and become a, an adulteress or, or a homosexual or a drunkard or a drug addict for God to use you. As a matter of fact, uh, I have a friend of mine. This is what happened to them. Someone close to them and their family went through an awful betrayal in their marriage. And the friend really just couldn't relate to it because they had such a great marriage. Uh, and they couldn't really help this this. Uh, person who was close to them they just like they had no compassion on them they had no mercy on them it was like you know what did you do wrong blah 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 that was sort of their counsel to them and but this person had a dream and in the dream they were betrayed in their marriage and the dream was so real they woke up their spouse laying there in bed was ready to kill them over it Anybody heard a dream like that? Somebody did something, you know, it was so real, you wanted to get the person and you were fussing at them like that. Becky's done that to me before. Honestly, she's had dreams like I did something wrong. I didn't do nothing. Why are you fussing at me? But this is the truth, what God was trying to do with this person. God was teaching her compassion. You don't have to go through stuff to learn compassion. You don't have to experience some depth of sin. If you'll open yourself up to God, God can release His very compassionate nature in you. And He really wants to, for us all this, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. I don't desire your morals. I don't desire, you know, how good a lifestyle you have. I don't desire that you dress right or look right or clean cut. I don't desire any of those things. I desire that you would have mercy. Learn that. Get that in your heart. Let mercy be the thing that comes out of you. When you tip a glass of water over, what comes out? Water, right? If there's, if there's water in it, it's not milk. And when God tips us, what's coming out of us? Is it mercy? God wants mercy in us. Amen? All right, let's go on. Are you all with me? That's another thing we learned from that woman. All right, the third thing, let's read on uh, verse 20. Or the woman, verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So here, this is pretty classic here. It's this thing called the battle over worship, which is all through the battle, all through the, the Bible. There's this issue about worship. In the church today, there's all these, these, these disagreements about worship style. You go in any church, there's issues about the worship in the church. It's too loud, it's too low, it's too fast, it's too... 
too slow. It's not this style. It's not that style. It's hymns. It's, it's contemporary. It's, it's too wild. But see, all those things are diversions. You hear what I'm saying? Dude? Those really are not the real issue. The real issue, there's this war in, in the spiritual realm. There's a war in heaven, if you read Revelations, that of, of who gets the glory and who is worshipped. And there's always going to be that battle um, over worship. Jesus said, but Jesus said that the real issue is you've got to worship in spirit and truth. Because here, all right, think about it a minute. This woman was living with a man, okay? Now, this is sort of the negative side of this woman. She was living with a man, but she was taking shots at, people, at, at, at the Jews about worship. Now, that seems sort of hypocritical to me. Do you hear what I'm saying? In other words, and, and this is really what God's looking for with us, is this whole issue about worship in spirit and truth, is worship is just not something you do at church on Sunday. You hear that? When I was a little boy, this is what my parents would carry me to church, and I really learned to hate the church as a kid. And this is why, I mean, this is the truth. This is why I hated it. It's because the people in church, when they left the church, they acted different. And I just thought, there's something wrong with that, man. And this wasn't, this was a, pres- this was a tra- very traditional Presbyterian church. But I just felt like those people, why are you going to church? I mean, if, you're going, if it's not going to affect your life. And that's why I really didn't want to go to church. Because I just felt like as a child, now, you know, you can be real wrong as a child, but Hold your place there and turn to James. I just want to read this. Are y'all with me? I want to read what James was saying in chapter 3, verse 9. And, and I think he's really, really hitting on, on worship. James chapter 3, verse 9. You know, James chapter 3 is about our tongue, okay? And this is what he said. And this is where we've really got to ask ourselves, what is God saying to me? He's talking about your tongue. He says in verse 9, James 3, With it we bless our God and Father. Uh, praise the Lord. You know, we love you, Lord. Right? We lift our hands to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. With it we bless our God and Father. And with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Um, So I really think that's an aspect of worshiping God in spirit and in truth is, you know, out of your mouth, it should not be so that out of your mouth comes worship, but also out of your mouth comes bitterness towards other people. And that's what, that's what James was saying. And I think sometimes, you know, as Christians, you know, that's, we really need to ask the Lord. It's, it's the whole issue of being a hypocrite, being religious. And I think really what the Lord wants to do is convict us of these things and ask us, really ask yourself the question, do you act one way in church and do you act another way when you get sit down at lunch with your friends and start talking about people? I mean, let's be real here. Is that Christianity? I mean, the Bible's saying that should not be so. That's basically what it's saying. We shouldn't be doing that. And some of the worst people for doing that, you know, are people who are constantly finding fault 
you know, with the church, with the hypocrites in the church, but, you know, they don't realize it, that they're, you know, they're doing the exact same things that they're, they're finding fault about. And I believe what God wants us to do is really examine, ask Him, you know, Lord, is that what I'm doing in my life? Am I worshiping on Sunday and cursing men on Monday? Is that really what I do? And if it is, we, you know, we really need to learn less because Jesus really didn't let her just start all that stuff up with about worship and how you worship and where you worship. He really went to the heart of the thing and said, you know, it's pretty hypocritical for you to live the lifestyle you're living and want to start picking on the Jews about how they worship the Lord. It's really hypocritical. And that's really what he was saying. And I think he could probably say the same thing to many of us today. Go back to John 4, point number Number four. So that was the worship issue. Point number four. Uh, verse. Let's jump down. Uh, verse twenty-seven. Skip a little bit. It says that uh, at this point his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, "What do you seek?" or "Why are you talking with her?" They marveled that he that he talked with a woman. Um, that's. The, the uh, number four point is gender is not an issue with Jesus. Okay? Gender is not an issue with Jesus. Now, listen to this little uh, statement. It was contrary to the customs of the eastern countries for a man to talk with a woman publicly. There are many rules among rabbis against it. They had written rules against it. To the present time, listen to this, to the present time, this is an Eastern country, if a man met, meets even his own wife in, in the street, he does not speak to her. This is done to keep an appearance, everybody say appearance, an appearance of chastity and temperance. Some of the extreme sects of the Pharisees, when they would see a woman coming down the street, they would actually close their eyes and keep walking their badge of righteousness, their badge of honors was the bloody noses and busted heads that they would get when they stepped in a pothole and tripped and fell because they were being so righteous by not looking at this woman. Yet here's Jesus talking to a woman and actually was going to use this woman to save the whole city. Now here's what I believe. We take some of the very few verses in the Bible, take them out of context about women, and twist them. We twist them around. They're all twisted up. They're really, you know, bad teaching out there, okay, about women. Where the Lord is saying, if that's really an issue in a church, then you've got religion in your church. Because that is not how Jesus... In fact, the the person that Jesus revealed himself to when he was resurrected, the very first person, was a woman who just happened to be a woman who had, I think, five or six demons she was delivered from. Another one of these messed up people. She was a prostitute in whom Jesus married Magdalene. So you see, I mean, I guess what I'm saying to you, does our mentality and does our attitudes line up with what Jesus' mentality and attitude? I mean, that's the question we need to ask ourselves. Because I don't think it does. You know, how many, and I'm not suggesting any man is, but how many men in this room would be caught in, the, in a garden alone with an ex-prostitute? I mean, that's what happened with Jesus, though. He was all alone with that woman the day he was resurrected, this ex-prostitute. And, you know, I know there's all these 
perverted teachings out there that Jesus was having some sort of love affair with Mary Magdalene, but we know that's not the truth. You see what I'm saying? So gen- if, you have, if we have gender issues, then I say we have religion issues. That's what I say. I think that's, that's the truth. Now let's, look, let's jump to the end. I'm going to stop. Uh, John 4, verse 39. It says, uh, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me all that I ever did. So you see how the Lord was using this woman. He told me all that I ever did. That's a real good uh, plug for prophetic ministry. But this is not the point. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. So, you know, Jesus went to the town and stayed there too. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. And him's not really, really in there, but they put it in there for readability. We've heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Um, this is the point by every Christian's true calling. If you noticed, there was a crowd of them that got because of her word. Okay? And then there's a crowd that says, hey, in verse 42, we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard. See, here's our true calling. We need to get this one. If we'll get this one, it'll get rid of some of the arrogance in the church. Okay? Our true calling is not is, is to lead people to Jesus. Not to ourselves. That should be every person's goal is to help that person find God. Because if they find God, then they have what they need. They don't need us. Our job is to point them, lead them, help them have a relationship with Christ instead of having a relationship with God through us and, and, and dependency. This is something that really happened to me that really, really helped, helped me in my life, in my ministry. Was It's actually when I first came to this church. I may have told you all this before, but I don't mind telling again because it was so real to me. If somebody asked me a question, what are you going to do to help this church? And I had all these answers I was fixing to throw out, but as I opened my mouth, it was like my brain flushed. <laughs> it was like suddenly... My mind was empty. I didn't have an answer because it was a, a serious question. It was a question of gravity. What do you, I mean, you know, what are you really going to do to help these people? Oh, well, you know, we can do this program. We can do that program. We can do this. You know, establish this, establish that. Get this vision going. You know, get this thing going with the worship. And, you know, get this person doing this. Do all these, these things that you had, I had in my mind. But when, when it came right down to it, none of them things would help a soul. And when God gave me the answer at that moment, this is what I said. Oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to help them people get close to God. And when they get close to God, God's going to take care of them. You hear that? And that's our job. That is our true calling. Our true calling is to help people get close to God. And if we could really get that in our hearts instead of it being about us and being building our ministry up and our thing and... And all that stuff that we do as people, which is really stupid because nobody, you can't help nobody. You know what I'm saying? And that's really what that woman did. 
she got Jesus. She met Jesus. She went back and said, I've met this man. He's told me everything. This man really is the Christ. She got him to come to the city. He came to the city. And suddenly they didn't need her no more. Would you like to get to a place where they don't need you anymore? Honestly. Your flesh doesn't. I promise you, your flesh wants to be needed. Your flesh wants to be lifted up. That's what your flesh wants. Yet, who is the person in the Bible that is almost a whole chapter about? It's about a person who wasn't looking to build their flesh, build their ministry up. Yeah, John the Baptist, that's a good one. Actually, I was talking about her. She's another one. And I, I, and I think this, if you go through the Bible, and I'd like for somebody who's real smart in here to do this, you go through the Bible and find one person in that Bible that God hasn't significantly used in, these, in this Bible who didn't have some serious problems in their life, did not have some serious failures in their life. You find somebody like that. I, I, you know, there's, there's people that God used that we don't know much about their background. We know very little about their background, so that ain't fair to use those. But the ones we know about their life, you list them. You can list them. Start out with Abraham, the father of our faith. Hey, great. Abraham was a heathen who worshipped idols. Didn't, had no idea about God, and God chose him. Moses killed a fella and ran away and lived in the desert for 40 years. I mean, David committed adultery and had a man killed. Jesus had to call one of his greatest disciples, one of his greatest apostles, a demon. Because he was so man-focused and, you know, ran his mouth so much. You see, the Bible embraces these kind of people. We don't embrace them kind of people. And I tell you, if we can begin to embrace failure, and if we can get over, you know, the religious thing about worship, and get over this stuff. You know, worship is meant to be something that's real. It's not just something we do here about singing and stuff. Our lives should be worship. And if we could get over something about women and, you know, all that, that's just religion. It's not real. Are, are y'all hearing what I'm saying to you this morning? If we can learn anything from the Samaritan woman, those are things we need to learn. We're going to have communion. I didn't know we were going to do that. I didn't see it. But <laughs> be a good time to have it. So, I'm going to play some music.